coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. A great many of us have spent a lifetime mentally standing at the cross. As we do every Sunday morning, we sing songs like, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And yet, you know, the older that I get, though, I'm noticing that the cross is a place where I find myself spending a lot of time at multiple times of every day. I want to spend more time at the cross each day than I do sitting in front of a television. I mean, it isn't always very easy, and it's not always too pleasant to stand at the cross. As we've seen in great detail in these um, past several weeks, crucifixion is gruesome. Crucifixion is hell on earth. So I understand if our relationship with the cross sometimes is like Chevy Chase as he stands at the Grand Canyon in one of those vacation movies. Or everybody else in his family is marveling at the Grand Canyon as it sparkles in all of its splendor. And yet Chevy Chase just kind of steps back and he looks at it for about three or four seconds and he's like, okay, we've seen it. Can we go home now? (laughs) I think it's very easy to look at the cross and say, okay, can we get to the empty tomb already? I mean, I, I understand that in a lot of ways. And yet, as Jesus has always done, though, what I love about him is that he doesn't sprint away from the pain. He doesn't run away or try to avoid the darkness of the world, but rather he sprints into the pain. And he sprints into all of the pain and darkness in our lives, and he makes something so beautiful out of it. I live to stand at the cross every day, not to mope around, but rather to lose myself in blessed remembrance. Because it's at the cross where we see God saying to us, this is how much I love you. We hear God saying to us that you are forgiven of your past. He's saying to all the people of the world like me, this is what your self-worth can be. And you can start all over again. Well, we now find ourselves, John chapter 19 this morning, we find ourselves in the sixth and in the final hour of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, we haven't exactly gone in order, and that has been um, intentional on my part a couple of weeks, but this is the point in crucifixion where, as we're noticing in the text, the, the closer that we get to the death of Jesus This is the juncture of crucifixion in which speech, in which words and sentence fragments begin drastically shortening. In John chapter 19, if we go in order at least of the statements that he makes on the cross, the most recent statement that he's made up to this point is when he says, I thirst. And so we hear just those two words and we're noticing that that his speech is beginning to get shorter and his breath is beginning to wane more and more. 
And so as we continue in John chapter 19 and verse 30 this morning, we see yet another very short and yet such a powerful statement that he makes. Or in John chapter 19 and verse 30, it says that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I mean, just three words long, but it is such a powerful announcement. It is finished. I mean, this was the most powerful three words of the ages until he said it is risen or he is risen on the third day. And yet to all of the principalities and to the powers and when Satan and, and all of the demons and the angels of darkness heard these words coming out of Jesus' mouth, it is finished. They all in unison thought to themselves, yes, Finally, there is something that we can all agree on, Jesus. Because that's just exactly what you are. You're finished. You're through. You're done. I imagine, unlike any minister that this church has ever had, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's probably not a good thing. But, but I grew up in, a, in a, a video game age. And growing up, there was a game called Mortal Kombat. It was just, just a fighting game, one-on-one -on -one fighting, and it was very gruesome. It was very violent. You know, my brother and I were, were preacher's kids, so we never had that game. <laughs> we had Bible video games. And yet in Mortal Kombat, though, when your opponent had been vanquished, they would just kind of hunch over at the corner of the screen. And the game would give you one last free shot, and you would um, finish them off. And every time that this happened, this is what you, you heard on the game. And so you would hear that sound, finish him. And yet as Jesus pronounces, it is finished. And as Jesus breathes his last and his head drops on the cross... This is just exactly what the principalities and the powers and the spiritual forces of darkness thought. We're looking up at the cross. They had said, look at him. He's battered and he's bludgeoned. He has nails in his hands and nails in his feet. He's got a crown of thorns in his head. And with waning breath, he is just about to die at any moment now. And because this is all is unfolding at Passover time, the religious leaders, not wanting these corpses to be hanging around as they um, have a celebration of Passover, they, they give orders to the Roman soldiers, hey, you guys need to speed all of this up, and so just start breaking all of their legs, and, and let's just get this thing over with. And John in his gospel goes on, and he tells us that, that one Roman officer in particular, he, he notices that Jesus has already died. And yet just in case, to remove all doubt once and for all, he takes a spear and he thrusts Jesus' side with it. 
And so as Jesus is verified multiple times over that he is absolutely positively dead, the religious institution now is just overjoyed at all of this. What the sentiment of their hearts was is that, look at this, we have disgraced and humiliated him. We have silenced Jesus once and for all. He is finished. He's done. And he is never coming back again. And you know, it's very significant that all of this is being recorded in John's Gospel. Now, as you may remember, all throughout John's Gospel, we find the I am's of Jesus showing us conclusively that, that Jesus is not just a man, but, but Jesus is also God in human flesh. Jesus has great divinity. And so we show Jesus over and over again in the Gospel of John saying, I am the light of the world. He says that I am the bread of life and the door and the vine and the good shepherd and, and I am the resurrection and the life and, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 8, Jesus says that, that before Abraham was even born, Jesus says, I am. Just a few chapters earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane, as, as his captors come to lay hands on Jesus, they say that we seek Jesus of Nazareth, and, and Jesus then says three very powerful words that, that we often miss. Or his response is, I am. And then he says, he. And John tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus says, I am he, that his captors fall backwards and they stumble onto the ground, I guess, at the way that he says this. And yet now on the cross, though, in John's gospel, as Jesus, the I am, utters these dying words on Calvary. Notice in the text that Jesus is not crying out, I am finished. He does not say, I am finished. This isn't Jesus being strong-armed or being forced to tap out. He's not conceding that he is some failed Messiah who has been struck down and defeated, but, but rather this is his coronation as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is his declaration of triumph that, that no, I am not finished. And yet again, the principalities and the powers think that Jesus is finished. I mean, they still have power that they're clinging on to, and yet they don't even know it, but it is short. Their time is short. Their rule has an expiration date. Still to this day, the, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one and the spiritual forces of darkness. And yet now, because Jesus has gone to the cross, now what this means is that their time is short. And they know that it is short now. Jesus is not finished, but, but what he says is the Greek word tetelestai. One word in the original language, three words in ours, tetelestai, it is finished. Another way of saying this, it would just be as accurate as if Jesus had said, it is fulfilled. It is accomplished. And the price has fully been paid. 
Or as we would say in our modern day language, mission accomplished. And this cry that Jesus makes on the cross, it reminds me so much of what he says just just a night or so before, where in chapter 17 of John in verse 4, as, as God the Father is, is being approached by God the Son, Jesus prays, John chapter 17 and verse 4, that, that I have glorified you on the earth. And then he uses the word again where he says that I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And what was the work that Jesus came into this world in order to do? Well, we may remember elsewhere in the word of God that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And now we can say at the cross, mission accomplished. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And again, we can say mission accomplished. He came to save his people from their sins. And again, we can say mission accomplished. As we sing every now and then on Sunday morning, why did my Savior come to earth? He came in order to love me so. And we can all say mission accomplished. He did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And again, we all collectively say with assurance, mission accomplished. Jesus is not finished. And yet we can say that the old covenant is now finished. And this is such good news for us. And that's because, I mean, we will never have to live in a world where over and over again and year after year, we have to drag around all of these sacrificial animals, bring them up to a priest and say, announce to everybody with an earshot, this is how I've sinned against God in the past, you know, you know, lately. And then watching that animal being slaughtered in front of us. We don't have to live in that world anymore. You and I will never live in a world where, where we will say that, that I want so badly to dwell in the presence of God. But God is way over there in Jerusalem in that building. And even if I traveled all the way to Jerusalem, he's behind a curtain. And only one of us can, can go anywhere near that curtain. And, and even he has limited access there. You see, we don't live in that world anymore. As the Apostle Paul reminds the Gentile church in the city of Ephesus, and he says that at one point you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He says that among them, we, we all lived in the passions and lust of the flesh, and we carried out all of the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. He goes on and he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You were without hope and you were without God in the world. And yet now because Jesus has gone to the cross and, and he's carried his love for us to his last dying breath. Even though this was once true, that we lived in a world where, where we were without hope and without God in the world, what Paul goes on and he says is this good news where he says, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
The principalities and the powers and the spiritual forces of darkness think that Jesus is finished. And yet as Jesus dies for us on the cross, that old world, our former status as having no hope and without God in the world, that is dying. That is withering before our eyes. It is eroding into nothingness. And you know, us people aren't exactly the, you know, the absolute best at finishing what we've set out to do sometimes, are we? And a lot of times it is our own doing. You know, King David never lived to see his temple being built. And that's because he was a man of bloodshed and war. And God said that you will never live to see that temple. As the Israelites entered into the promised land after all of those, those years of slavery and wandering in the Egyptian sun and in the wilderness. Even so, Moses was not permitted to enter into the promised land. And yet Jesus is the one who finishes all of the work that he set out to do. He finished it. He accomplished everything that he was born into our world to do. And yet so much more than that, though. And so because he has been to the cross for us and, and he poured out his, his soul unto death on our behalf. Lastly, this morning, even though he has completed and he has finished all of that. For us, all of this is just only now beginning. And yet another person could very well say, well, David, there's still sin in the world. And we still fall woefully short of the glory of God. And yes, we do. And yes, I do. Another person might say, well, there's still violence and there's evil and there's bloodshed and there, there is some terrorism still running rampant in the world. And I would say, yes, it is. And as long as there is a world, we will always have those things. And yet here is what all of this means, though, is that no longer and never again will it be for us that we are without hope and without God in the world. And that's because no matter what we read in the Word of God, we need to always be aware of the reality that it doesn't matter where we go in Scripture, this is all pointing the way to Jesus. I mean, every single word is pointing the way to Jesus. I mean, we could go back to the very first words in Scripture where it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And yet as we begin John's gospel, John opens up his gospel with these same words, in the beginning. Only now it is about Jesus. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then he says that the Word became human flesh and it dwelt among us. And I especially want us to hear these words in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. Or at the creation it says, thus the heavens and the earth. And then we find this Word had been finished. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the hosts with them. And then we hear that word again, where on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. 
And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had accomplished. And now at the cross that Jesus bears for us, after all of the persecutions that he suffered at the hands of a toxic religious culture, after all of the, the miles that he walked and all of the sea storms that he calmed and all of the darkness that he confronted, now Jesus has finished the work that he has set out to do. And he cries out, as he cries out the words, it is finished. These are the final words of an old dying world where, where we had no hope and we were without God in. And now, because Jesus has said it is finished, now the creation has come full circle, and now a brand new world has been created. A world where we, even we, can, can come to the cross with all of the life's baggage that we have, all of the, the various uncountable, innumerable ways that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God can say, leave all of that at my feet because the price has been paid. We're living in a world where Jesus says that you have been bought and paid for. You see, an entirely different age is now dawned. And after Jesus has created this, this brand new world, for three days he rests in the rich man's tomb. And yet you know as powerful and as wonderful as his sacrifice for our sins on the cross was. You know, I said it a moment ago that we serve a God who does exceedingly, far more abundantly, more than we could ever ask or imagine. Or even after he had died for our sins on the third day, God does the unimaginable. And after he defeats Satan, he defeats even death and even the grave themselves. Not very long earlier, just before Jesus dies on the cross, he, he's entering into Jerusalem. He's on a donkey. And, and do you remember what, what a lot of people have been crying out to him? They were saying, Lord, save, or in other words, Hosanna, Lord, save us. And yet what they really mean is, Lord, save us from Roman occupation. Save us from our oppression of Caesar. And you see, this is why Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Because he sees that he is not the kind of Messiah that they wanted him to be. Where it's like, you guys want freedom? But all that you ever care about is this national freedom for just one particular nation? You human beings think far too small. And so rather than just merely liberating them from Caesar, by his death and by his resurrection, he has now liberated the human family from Satan. From even Satan himself, he has liberated his faithful from. At the cross, Jesus is creating real, eternal kind of freedom. Not just for Israel, but, but for the whole world. I mean, Hebrews and Romans, Samaritans and Americans, Russian and Chinese, Afghani and Mexicans. This is for the whole world. And he is the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than anything that we could ever ask or imagine. 
Or as he's dying on the cross, he, you know, he looks at humanity and he says, you want access to God? You want to dwell in, in your Father's presence? But you keep on thinking that the creator of the heavens and the earth is confined to brick and mortar and to human houses made with human hands. You think far too small. And so at the cross and at the empty tomb, and, and now for us at the waters of baptism, now Jesus is saying that I will give you access and proximity to my presence that, that you can never even imagine. In fact, just get ready because I am coming to you. You don't have to come to me as much, but, but I am moving inside your soul. And now the Holy Spirit comes within us. And now we ourselves are his new worlds, his new creations, his sacred temples. We're just like in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. Now he walks with us and he talks with us and he lives with us. And he suffers with us. And he spends every step of life's way right here with us. You see, he is always with us now. And now we can boldly and confidently approach the throne of grace. And now we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because after all, he is the God who does exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine. In more ways than we will ever be able to comprehend, the work of Jesus Christ in dying for the sins of the world is finished. It is accomplished. And yet for us, heaven and eternal life, I mean, all of this is just now beginning for us, even as we, we suffer in this world. You see, our work in shining as a city set ablaze on a darkened hilltop, it's only just now beginning. Many years ago at one of the very first churches that Amanda and I got to minister at, we got to know a very remarkable individual who I'll never forget. His name was um, Dave Gorey. And he was a Hall of Fame baseball coach. I mean, he, he was a legendary coach in college sports. He led Pepperdine to the College World Series. But we were over at his house and we're just looking at, at all of these uh, mementos that he accumulated and oh you know here's a picture of Dave with Joe DiMaggio wow that's that's kind of a big deal <laughs> I mean he coached countless players who made it to the major leagues I mean this I mean he was venerated in in um, baseball and yet the Dave Gorey who I knew was in the advanced stages of dementia in fact, every week as we had our, our ladies' class, his wife would, would always ask me to just drive him around for about an hour and, and just keep an eye out on him because she didn't know, that it, you know if he would just walk out of the house and get lost or if he would wander into traffic or something you know, scary like that. And I can't tell you how many people in this church saw him suffering in dementia and just sadly and slowly shook their heads and said, oh, it's just heartbreaking what this has done to him. 
I mean, I'll never forget how he would oftentimes pull me aside and say, now, now the next time that I see you swing that bat, I want you to keep your shoulder more in line before you connect on the ball. You're coming in just a tad too late, and if you can just do that for me, you will notice an improvement in the way that you swing the bat. And I thought to myself, I've never played baseball a day in my life. And then it registered in my mind that he had no idea that I was the minister of that church. You know, he thought that I was one of his baseball players from the 1970s. And that's very sad. And you know, when we see our loved ones vanquished from dementia, vanquished from cancer, when our very last memories of the people who we love the most were us sitting next to this depleted husk of what they used to be as a body, when we hear people saying, well, the doctors did the very best that they could, but there's nothing more that they could do. So many cases, the unbelieving world that does not know Jesus looks at this and says, they're finished. I wish it wasn't so, but they're finished. And yet now, because there is a Jesus, and because he expressed his love for a dying and for a broken world all the way to his dying words on a cross, no matter what this world and what sickness and disease does to these bodies of ours, spiritually, we are never, ever, ever finished. And in fact, it's only just now the beginning. I close this morning with these words of, of a writer whose name is John Bunyan in, in, a, Pilgrim's, in a Pilgrim's Progress. And as he speaks about the cross, this is how he writes about it. Where he says, Thus far did I come so laden with my sin, nor could ease the grief that I was in until I came here. What a place this is. Must here be the beginning of my bliss. Must here the burden fall from off of my back. Must hear the strings that um, banded to me crack. Bless cross, bless sepulchre, blessed rather be the one who there was put to shame for me. My loved ones, no matter what this world does to us, and no matter what this world and what we did to Jesus, Jesus is not finished and neither are we. Let's pray.